Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Three is the magic number. Hello and welcome to episode one of this season's Real Football Cast. As always, I'm your host Dan Tracy and in the next 60 minutes we'll be dissecting all the hot topics in football. As per usual, we'll be discussing the build-up to the Premier League over the past few days, while in addition to that, there's some more off-pitch activities that have caught our eye and they'll be getting our attention in the next hour. It's not really been another incredible week of football, but this week we've once again got a full house, and that means leading the line this week around the captain's armband is Carl. So Carl, how have you been since we took a break in July? Yeah, not too bad, thanks, Dan. You know, we've, we've had that good little bit of a rest that was much needed, wasn't it? Even though we'd had a slight bit of a rest before that. Um, but there was so much football that had gone on, wasn't there, that it, it came thick and fast and you kind of felt like you'd had a season in a mini-season. Um, good little bit of a break. Glad to be back, though, and looking forward to getting the season underway so that we can talk all things football as we normally do. Top man. And also, after a string of burnt shirts and me declaring that Brentford are the best team in the world... Fulham fan Matthew is back in the Premier League fold again. So, Matthew, how have you been, mate? And how's the off-season treated you? Um, still getting over the hangover from beating Brentford that night. Um, we're going to need a lot more kisses of death this season. I'm 90% sure because we're going to be in a relegation battle. But I look forward to each and every one. Yeah, the summer's, you know, of all three weeks of it <laughs> that we've had. Has, has it been too bad just stressing over, you know, who Fulham are going to sign and, you know, looking at 30 million price tags rather than 3 million pound price tags. We've got a lot more money to spend. It's been fantastic. Well, it's a nice problem to have, I guess. And also, it's time to unveil our new signing. His name is Max Matthews. He's a Crystal Palace fan. So, Max, it's a pleasure to have you on board, mate. I hope you're looking forward to offering opinions, not just today, but throughout the season. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, I'm really pleased to be able to join you today for my debut. And uh, hopefully it'll be a decent season for Palace. We'll get to that in the show later on. Matthew, I know with the addition of Max, we've become very London-focused. What was it you said in our message group? How did you label the show now? 
Um, we're going to be labelled as the Metropolitan uh, London Bubble Elite Podcast because you because it, it was in the message you said that you wanted to branch out a little bit more and add add more of a scope, and I pointed out that yes, you wanted to branch out, but sticking within the M25, so it's not really that much of a branch out. If we're being totally honest, that's a fair point. So apologies if you find yourself listening from outside the M25 commuter belt. The show might not be for you today, but it certainly will be throughout the season. Right. Before we get started, I best do the social media bits first, otherwise we'll be talking into the abyss once more. So first, if you want to get in touch with me, you can. That's on Twitter, at DanTracy983. Also, the podcast has its own account, which is at RealFootballPod. If you want to become a shareholder, all you need to do is follow and join our very elite members club. You can find me via iTunes by searching for Real Football Cast. If you use that platform, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And also, if you like us, leave a review so we move up the lead table. And if you're not a fan of all things Apple, you can find it on SoundCloud and Audio Boom. While well, the easiest way to find all the links is by going to realfootballcast.com. Right, it's time to go live. Where should we go first? Let's go to the sunnier climes of Lisbon and take a brief look at the Champions League tournament. So, Carl, we spoke in the lockdown episodes. And we sort of mentioned that Bayern could go all the way. So it wasn't like a legally binding prediction, but it certainly came home to roost, didn't it? Yeah, they were looking strong, weren't they? You know, they kind of, you know, every time you saw them play, they, they looked really strong. They looked a great side. And one that, to be out as we've been, you know, proved right, we didn't see anyone potentially maybe being strong enough to be able to stop them, given the teams that were left in the tournament. And it proved to be that way. You know, unfortunately, the final wasn't the sort of final I thought we might have, given the two teams and the attacking ability that was on display. But, you know, I do feel that overall, the best team probably did win it. Um, and fair play to them, because they really did put on some great performances over that tournament. So, Matthew, in terms of the finals, Carl's just alluded to, was it a victim of having too much hype? You know, all the attacking talent which was on show. You had Gary Lineker and Rio Fernand waxing lyrical about the likes of Neymar and Mbappe, Lewandowski and all that. You know, a victim of its own hype, almost set up to fail, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And if I'd be brutally honest, I've forgotten most of what happened in that fight. It was a, I'm trying to think of the goal scorer. Something is telling me Alfonso Davis, just because he gets a lot of hype. It could have been him. I don't know. A lot, a lot has happened since then to sort of take my mind off it. But yeah, not exactly the most memorable. You wanted the stars to come out and shine, the likes of Mbappe, the likes of Neymar. Um, but whether or not it's just an occasion thing, or maybe it was just fatigue after you know what was a very long season for a lot of them, because um, weren't PSG? Because PSG had to have their their French league start like a couple of days after that. That's right. So it's a very yeah. So it's a very long season for a lot of them. Maybe it was just a combination of uh, let's just focus on that season instead. A combination of factors, I'm sure. I think it was Kingsley Coman who got the winner, and that means Max. There was more disappointment for PSG as they failed to once again reach the promised land of European football. Outside the French capital, though, how many tears will be shed? Is that if we sort of use the cliche, was that a win for football? Yeah, I reckon you could definitely say that. Um, but then equally, it isn't a bit of a it isn't a win for football to see to see Bayern win really because they're such a dominant force in German football and in European football. They're such a juggernaut, and they've won it so many times before that it doesn't feel like it would be um, it would be a massive win overall. But then again, yeah, you talk about that you know the ties of the PSG ownership to to a bit of a, a questionable regime, let's say. And I think that a lot of people won't be won't be too upset to see PSG lose that one. Yeah, I think if we sort of position it, it's not the great underdog story, is it? But I think if you were to pick one of those two teams, and as you say, with the sort of the Qatar links and the money that has 
been pumped into Paris. You sort of think of the two, you would plump for Bayern. And talking of Bayern, Cole, and we talk of tears also, there would have been a massive amount shed in Catalonia because after that absolute mauling that Barcelona were given, it almost was akin to Germany thumping Brazil at the 2014 World Cup semi-final, wasn't it? Yeah, it kind of had that feeling about it, didn't it, Dan? You know, you kind of got the impression that you know <laughs> there was going to be the, there was going to be these people from a whole sort of like you know continent really disappointed about that, <laughs> about that result. And it wasn't just a defeat, was it? It was kind of I think it signalled the kind of end and and telling you where a certain club are um, in in football at the moment and the fact that they're, they're not where they used to be and they don't hold this great fear anymore and that maybe there need to be some big changes there. I'm sure, you know, you might get on to the messy situation and the kind of, you know, situation that seems to come up every year about, oh, this could is Messi about to leave? Uh, and eventually we find out, no, you know, water's wet, Messi's still staying. Um, but yeah, I think that result, you know, you kind of really thought like this was a massive wake-up call. Um, and, and it did shake, you know, it is that sort of result. If you're a Barcelona fan, it really would have hurt and kind of just let you know, listen, you know, you've had some great years and watching some great teams and great football. But I, I think that dominance it, it is long, long, long way away right now, given the sort of side they've got at the moment. So, Matthew, if we look at maulings at the top level, they're nothing new. I mean, you could go back to last season in the Premier League. You've got Man City putting eight past Watford, Leicester going one better against Southampton. But there's still, you could say, a range of talent or quality between those two teams. With Barcelona and Bayern Munich being, you'd think on paper at least, much closer to being level, how on earth does that kind of scoreline become registered? Um, I honestly don't know because you'd think even, even if... If, if it was a high-scoring game, you'd like five-five. You wouldn't have put parts in because of the attacking talent the Barcelona have on show, and you'd think that they would, you know, at, at least be able to keep up with the attacking threat that Bayern Munich had. I think that's really what what stunned me was because you know going back, you know, I'll admit I do not watch the Liga regularly, so I have no idea how long this defensive decline has gone on. But you look at what Barcelona have had in the past. You know, Valdez, Alves, Puyol, Piquet. And whoever was left back at the time, George um, uh, Eric Abidal. Sorry, Eric Abidal. You think that's a great defensive line? Where have these guys gone? It's not as if Barcelona all of a sudden said, "Sod it, we're just not going to defend anymore." I'm pretty sure they do that in the Liga, but the way that it came up against Bayern Munich was just absolutely baffling and staggering that it could happen on such a big on such a big occasion as this. You'd think that would sort of help help the situation as well. Barcelona, once it gets to three, you'd think hang on, this is the Champions League quarter-final. We've, we're fighting for something here. But obviously it just didn't turn up. So, Max, Matthew mentions sort of defenders. And I think you could say that Barcelona's business as a club has been rather top-heavy over the last few seasons. But there's also been a lot of bust as well. Griezmann, Dembele, you've got Arthur coming in for another bucket load of money. And they seem to be sort of buying defenders as the, the afterthought. Has that been the sort of the overriding problem, do you think, over the last couple of years? You know what? Uh, the, the the transfer business that they've done has been spectacularly poor and 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 often overpriced. Even you know even though that you're paying the big club premium. To be honest, I think it's a bit of a mentality problem. The mentality was absolutely shattered against Roma and then against Liverpool and then against Bayern. They they looked like they didn't want to be out there. And I think that is that is a, a legacy of all the failures they've had. The high profile Champions League failures that they've had in the last couple of years. 
I think that was mainly the reason behind the um, the, the the Bayern debacle. But you're right, they, they have made a lot of really poor signings. And you know what? They have signed a couple of defenders. You know, they signed Junior Firpo at left back. They've signed Nelson Semedo. Um, they've signed like a lot of young Brazilians. Um, but there just doesn't seem to be the, the, the long-term plan. There isn't like a succession plan. You would think that PK and Alba... They've they've had 10, 10 years of fantastic service and it's kind of time to maybe start moving them on. And they there just isn't the plan there anymore. You know, they signed Titi for a lot of money. He's out of favour now. Um, they've signed Lenglet too, but he wasn't great against Barca. And he's really the only long-term centre-back that they have. And, you know, they've resorted to playing Sergi Roberto, who's more of a midfielder at right-back. Um, but it is a, a long and chequered history of transfers has definitely hampered them. But uh, specifically against Bayern, I think it was a mentality problem. Of course, Carl, that defeat was the trigger for what could have been the biggest transfer saga of all. Now, we know how it pans out in the end. The world certainly had its uh, breath base, shall we say. Now, if it's not going to happen this summer, do you think it finally might happen in 12 months' time? Yeah, I completely gutted then because, you know, I'd ordered a Spurs shirt with Messi <laughs> on the back, you know, and everything. I, I was I was completely ready um, and felt our time had come. Damn it. Um, but, but obviously, you know, he's thrown another spanner in the works, isn't he, like he always does. I, I'm not so sure if he actually does leave, to be honest. I, I, I just wonder whether, you know, Messi is actually in a little comfort zone there. Um, and, I, and I don't actually know if he's got that desire to potentially, you know, move on and maybe try something else. And when you consider the age he's going to be, the only thing I can maybe see him possibly doing is going back to somewhere like Argentina or something like that, where I, I don't know if I see him move into another big league. Um, I don't definitely don't see him ever come into the Premier League um, and trying to show what he can do here, because I think the age will just be against him. Um, so I actually think he'll stay there. Um, I don't see him leaving. And even in 12 months' time, I kind of think, you know, if Barcelona can sort themselves out, which I think the culmination of those results in that Champions League could could kind of give them a wake-up call to kind of get themselves moving, get in the right direction. As Max has already said, you know, they'll have to sort their transfer um, policy out because that they're not buying the sort of quality that you would have expected from them. Um, so I don't actually see him moving on. For me, I see him staying there and just seeing out the rest of his career either there or when he does come to move, possibly going back to Argentina somewhere and seeing his days out there for one of, for one of those sides. But I certainly don't think we'll ever see him, unfortunately, grace the Premier League. So Matthew, I know you're a big exponent of the can he do it in the Premier League debate? Do you think he'll ever do it in the Premier League? Or was that one of the sliding doors moments that Man City have just had it slammed shut in their face? No, I, th- I think Carl raised some interesting points. I think the time, the time, time is well and truly gone. And I think one of the one of the points that was being discussed in the whole was basically Lionel Messi's relationship with the Barcelona president, um, Josep Bartomeu. That's right. I don't know how to pronounce that. I probably, probably, I probably butchered that. Um, and um, the fact that one of the like concessions that he wanted to bring, if you know, Messi was to stay, was to bring forward the election so it can happen this summer, so on and so forth. That, I think, is going to be another thing because when that election does come around, I've literally just looked it up, next uh, in 2021, I imagine that will be one of the key things is, one, is to have a president that will do something to keep Lionel Messi, you know, either on board for the next couple of years. Yeah, more than likely. That will more than likely be the case because it does seem like Lionel Messi will be either either a one-club man Barring his like days with 
kids as an Argentina. Um, or he will go back to Argentina. I think it's Newell's old boys. I think is it. I think yep, it's his team. That's right. So it will. So it will be either a full a full senior career at Barcelona, or he'll get that one final send off um, uh, back in Argentina. I think that's that's the way it's going to be. And you know. The, the the whole messy you know the whole messy debate you know can you do in the Premier League? Part of me is happy that it's going to keep going because it's a fun debate to have, but at the same time, I do what kind of want to see what the what the answer to it would be. You know, could he do it? Not necessarily on a cold night in Stoke, but having to play the likes of Burnley and all that sort of stuff on what a constant is. basis. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. let's change the debates like seeing as I don't think Stoke are coming back to the Premier League a little bit more. A cold Tuesday night at Turf Moor. Like let's it. have that. Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a sad moment, but it's a happy moment as well because we get to still have the debate in some way. So, Max, if we look at the managers coming at Barcelona, that being Ronald Koeman, the club have obviously opted for someone who has that Barcelona DNA, in inverted commas, but does that act as a help or a hindrance? Should they purely be going for the best man available for the job? Is he the best man available for the job? That's a good question. Um, I think particularly with Barcelona, with a club like Barcelona and, and the history that they have of you know, fantastic football and tiki-taka and all that, I think Barcelona DNA is more um, important to a club like that than it is to you know, an, another like mid-range Premier League club um, who play in East London, whose name I won't mention, you know, when they talk about the uh, the club's way and all of that. I think Barcelona has more of a has more of a they've got more of an obligation to go for someone who kind of understands that philosophy. And you see them go for a lot of ex players and that kind of thing. Um, but Kuman isn't necessarily the right man for the job. What I was really surprised to see is that they gave him a two year deal. The word is is that he would he would have been happy to do a one year deal, and then when the presidential elections come round next summer, um, you know a new manager could have maybe come in on a new president's ticket, for example, Xavi, who didn't who wasn't ready to take it yet. So I'm I'm really surprised that that Kuman a got the job and b was given a two year contract when he apparently would have settled for one. But I suppose it, he you know he's got his dream job, he's got a fantastic opportunity, and we've seen with Solskjaer that if you do well in a temporary role, you can you can go on and, and get the permanent role. So it'll be really interesting to see how he does. Yeah, absolutely, because he's always been in the frame, hasn't he? Because of that link of 1992, scoring the winning goal in the European Cup, there's always been that sort of natural homecoming at some point. It's happened. A lot of it's down to timing, because maybe if he didn't take it now, we might never get it, because Xavi might push in the queue and all that. So it is a case of wait and see. And, I mean, La Liga as a whole, I don't know if people watch it as much because it's not on Sky Sports anymore, but as Carl's alluded to, the Barcelona era that we purred over a decade or so ago is a distant memory. So it'll be very interesting to see how he goes up against Zinedine Zidane. But now we're going to quickly turn the steering wheel over to the Premier League because the Euro European conversation is done. I must say congratulations to Sevilla, who continue their love affair with the Europa League. Hopefully I'll be saying that about Spurs at the end of this season, Cole. But we need to focus on the title tussle in England because... We hope there'll be one this season, because there wasn't one last year. That's going to dominate the discussion all season. But do you think it's a conversation that now involves Chelsea? Yeah, I do. And, and I, I think we have to include Chelsea, don't we, given given the transfer business that they've done so far this summer. Because I, I'm telling you now, and I look at the list of players that they've just brought in so far in this window, you know, Werner, Ziyech, Chilwell, Saar, Silva, Havertz. I mean... That is the sort of list you give your mum and dad at Christmas, isn't it? And hope that, you know, that's your Xbox, PlayStation, bike, this, that. And you're thinking, if I get one of them, 
I'm going to be over the moon. But you suddenly rock up on Christmas Day and all of that sitting under the tree. Frank must be sitting there thinking, I cannot believe this. What, what, you know, what has happened here? Because what a squad he has got at his disposal now. And I think when you look at that quality, there's no good saying top four for Chelsea now. I think you have, there is that pressure to say, listen, you boys with your squad should be in a title challenge this season. And, you know, quite rightly, there should be the pressure to say you should be able to at least give Liverpool and Man City a run for their money and maybe give them a little scare and make sure they don't kind of drop their quality and drop their guard for this season. Because they are, the, they are for me, out of, outside of City and Liverpool, Chelsea are now the next team, I would say, if you're looking at the squads and how we think it's going to go, they would be the team, I would say, well, if that's the top three, that would be my top three to begin with. And then you're looking at the rest outside of that. So there is a massive pressure um, and it will be interesting to see how Frank copes with that, because last year it was very much a case of, you know, he's bringing through young players. It's a club in, you know, in, in a turnaround and, and he needs some time. Well, now, that has gone. That time has gone. If you're a Chelsea fan, you're saying, listen, you did with this squad, you need to deliver and deliver on some of potentially the biggest stages. And I don't think this year, just top four on its own may be seen as enough to kind of warrant, you know, the job he's done there. So, Matthew, if we're saying that the players are under pressure, do those new players now put Frank under pressure? Does that pressure come from Uncle Roman? And is it almost win or bust? Because let's be honest, he has sacked better and bigger managers for being successful. So is there now a price of a league title on his head? I think there is, but I think we just need to be a little bit careful when we talk about Chelsea in a, in a title challenge because, yes, they look as if they're going to improve. But I think if even if Chelsea improve, we're going to need the likes of Manchester City and Liverpool to effectively drop down. Because you look at the Chelsea squad, do you see them being in around that sort of 95, 96, even pushing up to 100 mark? Honestly, I don't. They'll, they'll improve. They may get another you know, 10, 15 points on where they had last season, which will put them around 75 to 80. But are you expecting Liverpool to drop off 19 points worth? Are you expecting Manchester City to basically have another fall-down season? Because remember, two seasons on a row, they were 100 points and 98 points, I think it was. So they're going to have to drop off. I think that's something that really Frank Lampard is going to have to is going to have to deal with. As much as he's going to improve, he's going to have to rely on the other teams dropping off. And hopefully Roman Abramovich sees that as well, because I don't think they're going to be ready to contend this year. I think it may be another. I think it may be another year, personally. And hopefully, he, I say hopefully he gives them that time. I don't wish Chelsea any sort of success, but 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 I do. I did. I did quite like Frank Lampard as a player, so I do. I do want him to do somewhat well. But yeah, hopefully, Ron Varanvich appreciates that it's not just him. There are other teams that are going to decide that are going to decide this title race. Max, are they still a goalkeeper away from a genuine title challenge in the short term? Do you think Lampard's now going to have to put confidence back in Kepa this season? Or will they find even more money down the back of the sofa? Uh, I'm glad that you came on to the goalkeeper because uh, I was going to say, they're, they're essentially, for me, they're a goalkeeper short of being a title challenger. Because you look at um, Liverpool, they, they, they made all the forward signings and they didn't really, really kick on until they had Alisson in between the sticks. And City, you see what kind of player Edison is for them in terms of starting attacks and, and, and sweeping outside his box and things like that. And Chelsea, I look at Chelsea across the whole outfield team and I think quality. 
quality. And and now they've got strength and depth as well. They've improved their defence, which is a problem. For me, yeah, the keeper's a problem. Kepa, I don't think you can trust him. He wants to stay and fight for his place, which is commendable. And, you know, we did see another young Spanish keeper in David De Gea struggling for a couple of years, then getting used to the Premier League and becoming one of the best in the league, if not in the world. So I don't think it's over for him. I think they do need quality competition. Um, and, yeah, I'm not sure Caballero is going to be is going to be a, a title winning uh, keeper if if he ends up starting. I think they need a new keeper. There has been a lot of talk that they're going to go for the uh, Senegalese keeper from Rennes. Edward Mendy for about 30, 40 million. I haven't seen a lot of him, um, but I think they do need competition in there. And Abramovich clearly has the money from his other deal. So I, I think we can expect a, a transfer in the, in the coming weeks. I think you're right on that front. And like you say, Willy Caballero has always got a mistake in him, even more so than Kepa. And I think if you are genuinely aiming to top for the, you know, change for the title, shall I say, then there is going to have to be at least one addition, whether it's a replacement for Kepa or not. There needs another body at there at some point. Right, let's stay in London and live up to our new elite tag. So, Carl, unfortunately, we're going to have to say some nice things about Arsenal now. Yes, so two trips to Wembley, two pieces of silverware. The Arteta era is beginning to pick up pace now, isn't it? Yeah, I, I'm still, you know, I, I'm not convinced, I'm, I'm afraid. Um, <laughs> Don't apologise to me, mate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, you've got to give them credit. You know, they, they managed to win, you know, the FA Cup final um, and they played reasonably well, didn't they? You know, once they got the first sort of 10, 15, 20 minutes out of the way, they then kind of got themselves into the game, played really well. And then in the end, you'd probably say they just nudged that game and probably deserved to come out the winners. Um, but I, I look at the business they've kind of done and I sit there and go, do I see them massively improving um, from where they were? Not really. You know, I mean, William, I think, is a decent bit of business on a free. You know, I think, you know, I wouldn't have been disappointed if we'd signed him um, and brought him to the club. Um, so that, I think, is a reasonable bit of business. Again, you know, can can, can Danny Sabellios can can he kind of get going again? Because he had a hit and miss season last season, and we might find that suddenly he really comes into himself this season, starts dominating games more. But I, I look at the other business that they've done, and I still see, you know, I still don't see some defensive issues solved in in players they've brought. Um, you know, again, you know, I. I'm just wondering whether they can push for that top four. Um, I think they'll have a hit and miss season like they always do. And they will be there or thereabouts. But I'm still going to say I think they'll end up being fifth or sixth this season. Oh, yeah. That's not a top four squad. I mean, I might have to eat my words, but I just can't see it happening. There's too much quality above them. And that's before you add Leicester and Wolves into the mix. So there's work to be done at Arsenal. I don't think it's going to be done straight away or by the end of the season. So, Matthew, I know you're a big exponent of the cup final. Can you remember much of it? I just want to quickly ask you, do you think Arsenal were the better team on the day? Did they deserve to win it? I think I think they were the better, the better side. I, I must ask, did you watch the Cup final? Because I know we were having this debate yes. before we all kicked off. You did, you did watch well, it. Well, uh, no, I watched the highlights, but I did it blind. So I didn't know the score. I sort of waited about 11 o'clock when they were on. And I thought, oh, if I'm going to watch it, I might as well condense it down. So I waited till late at night and then sort of, Waited too long and watched Arsenal win, so um, I did you watch did, some you, of it. You, I cracked. You didn't put. You didn't pull a complete boycott, which no. you were threatening yes, to do. I was. That's fine. Um, 
I think I think Arsenal arguably were the better side on the day. I think they they've shown themselves to be you know in the FA Cup they they a good cup team. You know, on the day, anyone can beat anyone sort of thing because they've done this in the past couple of years. Um, they beat Man City a couple of years ago, I think it was. So they've shown that on the one-off occasions, they can do it. It's just a case of when you have to do it over a long stretch of things. Even in the Europa League and the Champions League, if you get a team once, then they have a chance. If you go and play them twice, it's still not 100% there. And I think that's pretty much where they're going to be this season as well. I think it's still pretty much a rebuilding team. We don't know what Aubameyang's future is going to be if his head gets turned in January, if the contract isn't sorted out and he starts thinking elsewhere, Lacazette, what's he, Bios hit or miss. Going for, Again, going forward, they seem to be very top-heavy with Aubameyang and Lacazette. If either of them are sort of faltering, can anyone else really pick up the pieces? No, I don't think so. Defensively, again, they're getting there slowly, but still not quite there. I think fourth would be realistic for them. But again, it would depend on if the likes of Manchester United take that little bit of a step back um, under Oli Solskjaer, which I don't think they will. I think so fourth. They'll be in the discussion as they always are late you know, late in April. Uh, but eventually I think they'll fall away. So fifth or sixth is probably where they're going to end up in my view. And Max, Matthew's just mentioned Aubameyang. How integral is he going to be to Arsenal this season? And do they need to get these contract talks done as early as possible to get the best out of him this time around? Uh, I think maybe not necessarily. It is obviously uh, an issue hanging over the club, especially with the fact that they haven't handled their contracts too well in the recent past. You think of, of Ramsey leaving on a free and Ozil being given a, a prohibitively high wage as well. Um, but I think as long as he knows that he's staying and it's just a case of kind of thrashing out the the last final details, uh, I think it, as long as he knows he's staying and there's that kind of security there that he knows he's going to be a big player, he knows he's going to get a big uh, pay rise and he knows he's going to be given maybe a two or three year contract um, like William was, um, even though he's kind of the wrong side of 30. I think as long as there's that security there, he'll be fine. And you're right, he's he's a hugely, hugely important player for them. Having players who are just natural, natural finishers uh, are just such a precious commodity. And to be honest, if Arsenal are going to get top four, I suspect they're not going to be able to. They'll need Aubameyang to have another season where he scores close to 25. Right, more capital chat now, and it's about Roy Hodgson. So, Carl, we had a chat about him at the end of last season. He stayed in the Palace job. Is that a surprise for you? No, I don't think so. I mean, I don't don't think it's a surprise necessarily. Um... You know, we, we said, didn't we? I think at some point, you know, it's a wonder whether the Palace board are going to start to look at where they're actually going as a club um, or whether they're just still going to stick with a steady Eddie who's going to probably guarantee them, you know, Premier League survival or whether they actually have got ambitions to take the club further on. So I don't think it's necessarily a massive surprise that he's stayed. Um, I do fear for them a little bit this season. I say looking at the transfer business that they've done, um, you know, great signing. The Esri looks a real kind of exciting talent from QPR. But again, you know, this will be his first season in the Premier League. So I am slightly worried about the business they've done so far and whether they've got enough to keep themselves in the league or whether they'll struggle. But I'm not necessarily surprised that Roy is still there. But you have got to start thinking that at some point, Palace have got to take another brave and bold leap 
and start thinking about, okay, what is the plan after this? Uh, And what is the kind of football and direction that we want to go as a club? Now, Matthew, I know by the terms of your podcast contract that we're not legally allowed to say bad things about Roy Hodgson. With that said, what do you think he can do for Palace this season? Um, no, you can you can say bad things. Just just keep them just keep them within context and everything. Right, okay. um, I yeah, I think I think I said I think I said towards the end of last season as well. It depends. It really does depend on what Crystal Palace's aims are. If they want to be you know similar to Newcastle and Mike Ashley, if they want to just stay in the Premier League and just keep collecting the money every single year, then Roy Hodgson is the is the man to do that. And I think they have been relatively smart in the. In the transfer, I think Eze is going to be a fantastic signing. Personally, him and Zaha on either flank, I think, is going to give Premier League fullbacks some problems. Um, but if they want to progress, then they need to. Then they need to. Um, then they need to, to make that move. They obviously tried it with um, De Boer a couple of years ago, and it and it didn't quite work out. But yeah, I think it's just going to be another season of you know getting twenty odd points by December, getting thirty odd points by March, and then. Being relatively safe by April and you know, quote unquote, on the beach as as you as you like to put it, in their flip flops and beach shorts. Well, yes, they certainly were on the beach, and the best person to ask is Max about this because one point for the last twenty four on offer that came on the final day of the season. How much of a concern was that for you and your fellow Palace supporters, or was it just a genuine sense of look, we've got nothing to play for. This is a weird restart phase to a weird season. Let's just get it over and done with. Um, a bit of both, a bit of both. It was definitely. Uh, a big, big concern at the time. And it was hugely demoralising. You could see the belief um, ebbing out of the players every single week. Um, I think maybe saying they're on the beach is a little bit harsh, to be honest, because there was a lot of perspiration there, just not much inspiration. They were really working their socks off that they were just, you know, playing playing badly, um, to put it simply. Uh, We have also got a very small and a very ageing squad um, which is a problem which the managers and and the ownership, I'm very glad this season, are starting to rectify with the signings of young players like Eze, you already mentioned, and, and Nathan Ferguson. But I think the, the post-lockdown period, so many games in such a small time, it is the same. It was the same for all the other teams, of course, but the specific problems with Palace's squad in terms of you know size and injuries and age, um, it really came to a head towards the end. And it is a credit to Palace that we'd got so many points before uh, Project Restart that we were essentially safe from relegation, even though we had a horrendous run uh, towards the end. So that was uh, demoralising. Going forwards, I'd say um, I'd say I'm, I'm reasonably optimistic, reasonably optimistic as, as much as I can be. Uh, Hodgson's contract expires next summer, as does uh, the contracts of about 10 10 players, 10 first-team players. So I think that point is really going to mark the end of an era and we could see, you know, seven or eight of them leave. And if we get three or four more young players in, that could be the start of the that could be the start of the revolution. That said, Hodgson clearly still has the hunger to to want to carry on. And I I often say that I don't think there are many managers in in world football who could do a better job with Palace's current squad than Hodgson. I'm sure um, I'm sure any Fulham fan or even West Brom fan would definitely attest that he's superb at getting the absolute maximum out of, you know, a maybe poor to mid, mid-table Premier League squad. And he has done that so far. Um, it is also important for us to, um, 
to, to to stay in the Premier League, not just for financial reasons, but also because we need that security and stability now that we've got uh, a Category 1 academy and also with our new stadium in the offing. So that security is even more important going forward. And sorry for the long answer. That's all right, no worries, mate. It's a very good answer, though. So great insights of Palace. That's why you're on board. But, Cole, let's shoot up the table now. Let's go to the very top. Liverpool. Now, they're going to have to focus on being the hunted rather than the hunter this season. How much can we read into their Community Shield defeat? And do you think they might need to just freshen up the personnel a little bit more this season? Yeah, I mean, as you say again, you know, for me, it's between them and City. Again, you know, I, I can't see anyone challenging them. Um, you know, they, they've, they've shipped a few out this year. You know, Lovren has finally gone, which I think that that just gives you a little bit of comfort defensively, doesn't it, as a side, even if you don't replace him. Um I do think, you know, I'm surprised they maybe haven't added one or two more um, to just kind of freshen it up and keep on top of things. You know, we know the great Man United side. Sir Alex was always looking at just kind of refreshing it, at least we owe one or two two players each year just to kind of keep everyone on their toes. Uh, but I, I still think they'll be OK and they'll be one of the teams to beat. And I don't think you can read anything into the Community Shield defeat at all. You know, I, I think that game now is very much, you know, class as a friendly, especially given the circumstances this season and, you know, the limited number of games that teams have had to get ready. So I really do think that was just a pure warm-up. Um, and I still say, you know, if you if you finish above Liverpool, then you're probably looking at finishing in first because they're, they're still a great side and I think they'll still kind of dominate most of the games they play in. Yeah, I mean, I must admit the Community Shield, I forgot it was on. I was like, oh, geez, oh what's, what's this? Arsenal won something. And then it was like, oh, right, well, I missed that now. So never mind. I'm sure it was a good game from a Gunners' point of view. But Matthew, in terms of the Premier League, the adage is it's hard to win it, even harder to defend it. So with that logic, have Man City been priced correctly as the favourites by the bookmakers? Yes, because, you know, as as Carl mentioned, Liverpool haven't really made those... That many signings that you think they're going to they're, that's going to improve them. I think they're just sort of keeping at a steady pace. Whereas Manchester City, I think they're going to be absolutely seething in the way you know not just the fact that they finished what eighteen points I want to say behind Liverpool last season. Pep Guardiola will want more, um, but also Champions League they're going to want to go basically full full out on 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 all fronts so they're they're going to be scary they uh colin coward who's a sportscaster in america said the um said the worst thing you want to have is uh, you want to play against is a team that's talented and a team that's pissed off and i reckon manchester city will be that this season so i think it's going to be you know as i said all guns blazing for them to try and to try and win as many trophies as they can and i think more than anything the premier league is going to be the thing that they're going to be most successful. And I think the, the, the one that I'm going to be most confident in trying to get, let's just put it that way. I'll start with you very quickly, Matthew, because it's just popped into my head. With your sort of theory of talented, pissed off, could you see another sort of very close to century kind of points hall that really going to go for it? I think, I think there's, a, I think there's absolutely every single case on that. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm not. I'm not going to put. I'm no, not going to no, put yeah. my neck on the line. Okay. They're, they're guaranteed to get 100 points. No, no. But yeah, I think. I think. I think if they get less than 90, I think they'll see it as a failure. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think. That's, I mean, obviously, there's been sort of hyper domination in these last two, three seasons by whoever's won the Premier League. So you do wonder if that kind of scale of 
dominance can continue. But like you say, Matthew, with that kind of combination of factors, there's no reason why City couldn't sort of do the reverse to what Liverpool did to them last season. But if they are to do that, Max, their defence is going to have to be a lot better. They've brought in Nathan Ake. Is he the answer to their long-term defensive problems? Uh, he's one of the answers, uh, plural, <laughs> in that they definitely needed a backup to Eimerick Laporte, who's uh, an unbelievable player, so such a classy player, um, so important for them. And, and they definitely needed that cover. And we've seen uh, with Arsenal signing Gabriel as well, uh, the importance of left-footed centre-backs. It really can't be, can't be understated. He's also versatile. You know, he can play left-back, which has been a problem position for Man City. And he can also play in a bit of uh, defensive midfield. And he might uh, find himself playing a bit there um, with Fernandinho getting, getting older and older. Um, but to be honest, I think there's still work to do. I think right back, they're all right. Um, but I'm not, to be honest, I'm not convinced by any of their left backs. I think Angelino is um, set to complete a move uh, to, to Leipzig again, another loan. Um, but Mendy has been injury prone and he's a little bit erratic um, on and off the pitch. And then Zinchenko is basically a winger playing left back, which you can sometimes get away with. But, you know, he got found out last season. Um, he got sent off against Spurs, which was costly, and, and made a couple of, of other mistakes too. I think they do need uh, another another centre-back, a right centre-back. Someone like Koulibaly would be great, although he wouldn't come cheap. Um, and I think they need another specialist left-back who's uh, quite reliable and, and dependable. Uh, I suspect if they get Koulibaly or another right centre-back, I think that'll be their business done. And it is the position that they needed to strengthen the most. And if they do get two quality centre-backs in there, and then you also have a bit of cover then with Garcia and Ake. Um, I think the, that that will be a long way to solving their defensive problems and they could really trouble Liverpool this season. It's funny you should mention Mendy because it's, what, 50-odd million, and I think they've just bought him to be social media manager at the club because he's sort of like, I know he's a talented player, <laughs> but what does he really do? He's always sort of injured. He's never really sort of got the command of games that you'd think for that kind of money. So there is an answer there, but it's, again, it's all down to keeping personnel fit, like I say, Zinchenko's a bit of a bomb scare. There's always a mistake in him. So there's certainly something that can be improved there. And if they identify that and fix it in the short space that the transfer is going to be open for the, what, the next five weeks or so, then it's bad news for the rest of the Premier League. That said, Carl, staying in Manchester and the Red Half have added Dolly van der Beek to their ranks. So for you, is that one midfielder too many or does it give Oli a nice problem to have, especially if they want to compete on multiple fronts? Oh, I think it's a great signing for them. And, and to be honest, I, I don't think they can, you know, you, can you ever have too much quality no. in the centre of park, given the amount of games that you end up playing over the course of the season? Um, you also know, obviously, Fernandez has come in and looked brilliant and hit the ground running. So, obviously, the hope is, can he continue that sort of form into this season? And obviously, the question mark is still there around Paul Pogba, isn't it? Because he is very hit and miss. You know, he can either be brilliant or he can be completely completely dreadful. So I think having someone else that you can put in there is a great option for them. And he's a great signing. I think the problem United have got, which I don't think they've kind of at no point looking like solving just yet is defensively. Um, you know, I, I think they're going to be okay going forward when you look at their attacking lineup. And when you look at the sort of midfield players they've got attacking wise, you think no problems there. You'll score goals and you will beat some teams. I think we found out last season, though, with United, their problem is defensively. You know, Maguire's OK if he's looking at everything and can come on to things. The problem gets then when pace is involved. Um, I still don't think they've got, you know, 
consistent enough performers at the back that I think can see them push for, you know, you know, potentially even say a top four or even a title um, or those European competitions they're going to be in. I think you can find them out at the back and until they kind of rectify that, I think that will be their Achilles heel throughout the season as it was towards the end last season when certain teams made, made them look a little bit silly. You've also got the goalkeeper situation. What sort of De Gea are we going to get this year? Because if it's the one that's throwing everything in, then you've got bigger problems. If he's got his head straight and had a good break and comes back to be the goalkeeper, we know he could be, that might help. But I still just look and think that defensively, that is going to be where they fall down and ultimately end up costing them throughout the course of this season. Matthew, that arrival of Van der Beek surely means that the Jack Grealish route out of Villa Park to Manchester has been blocked off for the foreseeable future. Does it also mean that any other route out of Villa Park's blocked off? There doesn't really seem to be any opportunity of a bigger move at the moment. Is he going to have to bide his time uh, and have another season at Villa Park? Um, that seems that seems to be the way. I'll be brutally honest. I've ne- I've never believed that Jack Grealish was going to leave for Manchester United anyway. For some reason, for some reason, it it just didn't seem to fit in my mind. Jack Grealish and Paul Pogba in central midfield together that that's a recipe for disaster. It never would have worked. So I I never believed there was going to be a thing. Tottenham are always a name that's always been sort of bandied around. You wonder if they're going to make a move for him. You think if he is going to make a move, it is going to be to a big six club. But you think, but he is, as you said, running out of options for for who's going to sign him. So yeah, I think it could very well be a case of you know sticking at Aston Villa. And I, Aston Villa are very, very certainly doing some very good business this summer. If they are to uh, last, last I heard they're going to sign Ollie Watkins from Hounslow FC for twenty eight million pounds, which I think is a very good deal, personally. Um, I think they're very slowly going to be going about their business. and they, I don't think they're going to be involved in the relegation scrap this season. I think they're going to slowly move up the table. So if Jack Arenas can progress you know, into a top eight side, you know, strictly speaking, if he can turn Aston Villa into one of those big sides, I think that would be much easier for him than to make, sort of make the move to somewhere like Man United or Chelsea or Arsenal or Spurs or anything like that. Well, Max, my next question was about second season syndrome. So how do Aston Villa avoid this? Is it a case of quality at both ends? Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, and Watkins, you're right, uh, Watkins, in basically in the last hour, uh, Villa announcing they've uh, kind of agreed a fee of 28 up to 33 million. And I think that would be a huge, a huge step forward. For me, I look at their defence and midfield and I think, yeah, pr- pretty good, probably good enough to stay up. In goal, they had issues Obviously, Heaton is a really good player, but um, getting older and, and had a long, long-term injury. He did quite well before um, he got injured, I thought. Um, but they may need to have a, another player in there. Obviously, Jed Steer and, and Nealand, the other keeper, got little bits of game time. But neither of them are Premier League quality goalkeepers. Uh, I don't think we saw that with Nealand dropping the ball over the line. Uh, infamously and then up front they've really struggled as well and you look at the three strikers they had they spent a lot of money on Wesley the the big Brazilian but he was injured for a long time at the same time he and was he had only scored four or five goals I think in the first half of the season Keenan Davis is a decent young player you know good physical presence but not really a goal scorer and then Samata um, they signed for for a fair amount in January as well, and I think he's only scored one league goal. So really, it's going to be it's going to be um, it's going to be saving goals and scoring goals that is the key positions for them. And I think they've sold fifty percent of that conundrum with the signing of Watkins. 
So I'll be I'll be keeping an eye on them to see if they get a decent keeper in. That's a phenomenally sized fee for a championship club, but I guess that's where the business goes in this day and age. But Carl, in terms of quality at both ends, you could apply that statement to Everton, but they seem to have focused in the middle because they've signed Alan Hammers Rodriguez. I think Decore is very set to follow. You know, talking hours if not uh, days, but. Is it fair to say that Ancelotti has now identified a very weak department from the end of last season? Yeah, I, I think you can see from those signings uh, you know, what he has identified as being Everton's probably biggest problem. Um, you still just wonder whether those signings, you know, I always feel Everton are one of those teams, aren't they? That, you know, they're looking to break into that kind of elite. Do they ever actually sign the real players that are going to get you there instantly? Or are they taking kind of punts on people and hoping that they can suddenly kind of resurge a player? And, you know, James Rodriguez is kind of a key example, isn't he? You know, he, you know we obviously have great things of him after the World Cup and great expectations. But then none of those moves he's ever had after that have kind of, you know, materialised the way probably he was hoping and, and those around him were hoping and he's never hit those kind of heights again and you just wonder whether is is this a you know a typical Everton signing if you like where they're you know they're getting in this name that possibly excites you but actually it never probably delivers what they need it to um you know they, they've got rid of quite a few um players from that squad and as you say I think you know they are looking at strengthening in that attacking area um because, yeah, you know, goals and potentially great attacking play will, will get you up that table. But I still worry for them, possibly defensively. As we've said last season, the goalkeeper massively worries me for them. Um, you know, I think Pickford is just kind of, for me, looking like he's mirroring Joe Hart um, to a degree and going down that route. And you're kind of always nervous with him. And I don't see them necessarily bringing in some defensive quality so far that you think will make them a lot more sturdy at the back than they were last season. So I think Everton are still one of those. This could be hit and miss. You know, if it if it works, it could be great. But again, you could be looking at a side where you're beginning to say, well, the transfer business, although it looked good, it hasn't, it hasn't materialised. And those players they've brought in are struggling and, and not really adapting well. And then they're stuck in mid-table again. Well, do you remember at the end of last season, I read out that list of drops from Everton. It was about 20 minutes long of just bust after bust after bust. So... You're right that, you know, we shouldn't write them off just yet, but the sort of this sort of could go either way. And you look at Hammers Rodriguez, yes, he works really well under Ancelotti, but he's, you know, I don't want to disrespect Everton fans, but there's a reason why he's left Real Madrid and gone to Everton that's not really been touched by, by bigger clubs. So he's certainly one to watch. And I think also Everton, they do need some form of backup or competition for Pickford. I can't remember, the, I think it's like Jonas Lossel is the, the number two. Doesn't really sort of scream competition, does it? I think Pickford's got a very easy run at the first team at the moment. I think that's probably feeding into mistakes at the same time. So you never know if ever to do. They, they talk a good game. They've always wanted to crack the glass ceiling, but I think there's better contenders above them. And Max, obviously they face Tottenham on Sunday. What do you think of their business as an outsider looking in? You know what? I, I think their business has actually been pretty good. Um, Joe Hart got a lot of... Um, maybe not hate but a lot of a lot of mirth on on social media people saying oh you know why are they signing him to me it makes absolutely perfect sense to sign Joe Hart you've got uh, a, a keeper who's British um, he he's he's only ever going to be backup um, but he's British which is really important for the you know homegrown player quota um, and and he's good experienced international player 
and and as 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 a backup, you you don't want you don't want anything anything less than that. I think he's a really good signing. I don't think he's particularly blocking uh, any young players coming through. Young players probably want to be going out on loan. You know, players like Alfie Whiteman, young keepers like that. Um, and then the the bigger signings. I maybe started at the smaller signings. Uh, the bigger signings, Hoiberg and Doherty, I think are just really good, solid Premier League signings, and Levy's got them for. For, for decent fees as well. Doherty is definitely an, an upgrade on Aurier. Aurier is a little bit uh, erratic. Um, I think I remember him doing three foul throws in about 10 seconds at Selhurst Park once, and I've never got over it. Um, and and he's, he's, he's not so reliable. Matt Doherty is a really good, solid player, um, done really well at Wolves, and Spurs like to send their right back on, on attacking runs, so I'm really excited for him. Got fantasy football potential as well, and then Hoiberg has just been ultra consistent uh, player uh, for for Southampton in the last couple of years. And if Mourinho and Southgate as well apparently have decided that Dyer is a centre back, there is a gap at the at the base of the midfield because Winks can't really play that role for me. Um, Sissoko doesn't have the, uh, the 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 discipline or the positional sense to play there, and I think. You've strengthened really nicely. You've got two players who are probably going to start for you for about thirty million, and in in Premier League in Premier League terms with Premier League money, that that's pretty good business in my eyes. Matthew, I'm going to shunt you out to East London now because James Tarkovsky has been linked with a twenty-seven million pound move to West Ham. Would that be a good move for the England international? Um, Tarkovsky, I think I think would be a very good signing for West Ham. I think the defence is something that really needs to sort itself out because then I don't I don't have much faith in what West Ham are going to do going forward. You know, look the fact that they've sold Dean Garner now their their best options are Anderson and Jared Bowen, who are okay, but you don't expect them to get you you know two or three goals a game on a regular basis. So West Ham are going to be a side that needs to organise and sort out that defence and. With the likes of Declan Rice in front of the back four and Issa Diop uh, in, in central defence, although he's being linked with a move away for £45 million. It's really about who's going to be that other centre-back to sort of protect them. I think James Tarkovsky, having come from the system that Sean Dyche implemented up at Burnley, you know, of, of, of having a strong defence, I think that's going to, that would be an excellent signing for them. And you think... I, uh, the latest figure I saw was I think thirty million pounds being linked. I think that that's a, that's a very much a fair value for someone who may get them those extra couple of points to keep them away from the relegation battle for at least an extra couple of weeks worth of the season. Right, there's three more clubs we're going to talk about very quickly. Cole, you get Leicester. How are they going to bounce back from fluffing their Champions League lines on the final day of the season? And now they no longer have Ben Chilwell. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting, isn't it, to see how they come back this season and whether they can kind of recover from that that kind of collapse that that cost them Champions League. Um, they they seem to have gotten away with it a little bit, you know, and no one's really gone to town on them for kind of bottling where they were. Um, and you know, you can imagine some other sides would have really taken the media brunt for losing that sort of lead. Um, so I think it's going to be interesting. You know, they haven't made great additions. Chilwell will be a big loss. Can the likes of Vardy and that keep going again and do what he does for another season? You, you'd think yes. But I think this is a really interesting season for Leicester and whether Brendan can kind of get them playing the same sort of football as they were before the lockdown. 
if they can, then they'll be within a shout of possibly, you know, top four. But for me this year, I think Leicester probably looking at around the sort of top six, top seven mark. I can't see them being as good as last season. And you just need to see how they bounce back and whether they can get rid of that hangover and maybe add a couple more before the window ends. And Max, you get Leeds United. Can they emulate Sheffield United last season and finish in the top half of the table? Uh, I think if one of the promoted sides is going to do it, it's going to be Leeds. Um, I watched a fair amount of them in the championship and I was really, really impressed. Obviously, Bielsa is a is a super smart guy, you know, almost obsessive with his tactics. But he, he really revolutionised uh, their play. They were a little bit unlucky not to go up the season before, but they've got... In my opinion, they've got a fair few players who are ready to immediately make that step up, like sort of um, Calvin Phillips, and I really like Jack Harrison, I like Luke Ayling. Um, they've made some decent signings as well. Rodrigo, I can't believe really that, that he, he's gone to Leeds, given that he's Spain's starting, starting striker. And then Robin, Robin Koch is at centre-back as well. So I think if a team does... Uh, make that make that Sheffield United esque move into into the top half of the table after getting promoted. It will be Leeds, uh, but always there's a little bit of a of an adjustment period into the Premier League, and they won't be able to necessarily pass their way round every single uh, other team in the league. Whereas they could really do that in the Championship. So there will be a little bit of an adjustment to start off. I suspect they'll come just below the top half, maybe twelfth or thirteenth. And Matthew. You get Fulham. If you want to expand on your earlier point at the start of the show, how's the season going to pan out for you? Um, a relegation battle, just hopefully one that's going to be a lot more fruitful than it was last time. I think we've, we, uh, Tony Khan and Scott Parker made points after the after the promotion final that we weren't going to be making the same mistakes as last year as last time out and you've sort of seen that develop we're not spending huge amounts of money to try and stay up we're being a little we're being a lot more smarter with what we're trying to do bringing back harrison reed for i think eight million pounds was was key it's we're trying to keep a, a, a continuity from from last time out rather than changing the whole system um from where we were from where we were yeah are, are all these players going to be premier league quality we're we're let we're yeah, we'll, we'll just have to find out. I think there are a couple are. Uh, Mitrovic, I think, is Premier League quality. Harrison Reed, I think, is. Michael Hector, centre-back, I think, is. Michael uh, Marek Rodak uh, is a lower league, uh, uh, is a lower half of the table Premier League goalkeeper, but he should do well. Um, I, just, I, I just hope that we put in a lot more fight than we did last time, if, if I'm being brutally honest. And, yeah. That's really. I, I'm, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna buy into this because I've seen a couple of fans on social media, not just a, not just Fulham fans, but other fans, starting to get excited about the kind of players we're being linked with, and I'm just not. I'm just not gonna fall for that yet again. I think if we, I, it'll be cliche, but if we can get 17th, I'd be. I'd be happy with that. Right. That's the summer recap. Apologies if your team did not get mentioned. It's probably because they're not based in London. But of course, we will do a full Premier League breakdown of week one next Tuesday. And that means now I just have to do the admin. And first up, I need to thank Max. So Max, a sterling debut. I hope you enjoyed that, mate. And you haven't been scared enough to not join us again. Yeah, thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. And hopefully, hopefully talk to you soon. Oh, yeah, you'll talk to us soon, mate. Don't worry about that. Matthew, you've hit the ground running after the summer break. Thanks for your time again. Yay, thank you. A couple of technical issues aside, I'm sure. That's fine, mate. That'll, be, that'll come out in the edit, no problem there. And also, Carl, the captain's armband is going nowhere. Do you feel a bit sharper after that one? Yeah, it's always good to get minutes in the bank, you know, but the, but the true test will come next week when we've got, if you like, the real stuff to do. 
Very true, Carl. And it also means that's it for week one. We'll be back next week. And with that said, it just leaves me to say that my name's Dan Tracy. This is The Real Football Cast. And until next time, goodbye. Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.